Hello and welcome back to the Looking In podcast. I'm Alex. I hope you've all been surviving the winter. Uh, we just had a polar vortex uh, a few weeks ago. It was actually colder in some parts of the Midwest than it was in Antarctica. So uh, it's been a little chilly. Uh, stay warm, wear jackets. It's going to get better eventually, uh, hopefully by, by March. Fingers crossed. Uh, the weather has been insane and so has our politics. So strap in, we're talking about the State of the Union and the Equal Rights Amendment, which just might be the newest amendment to the list of amendments in the United States. All that and more on today's podcast. Now, for those of you uh, who have watched uh, the State of the Union uh, on February 5th last week, I, I hope you enjoyed it. I certainly did. It was by far one of the most entertaining State of the Unions that I think I've seen. Uh, I, I believe there were three times when, when the entire chamber was chanting USA. I mean, it, it was ludicrous how, how f- exciting and funny parts of this was. Uh, it ended up seeming more like a, like a Trump rally than an actual uh, address or, or formal report at points uh, to Congress. And I, I think part of this shows the change that has been going on for decades of what the State of the Union used to be. When the State of the Union originated, it was more of a, a formal report of budget requests or reports on the economy. Uh, but over time, as technology changed with the radio and television, and these things were able to be more public and broadcasted to the people, Presidents started doing these reports, or State of the Unions, in person, where they could be broadcasted to the people. And it became less of the the boring information of budget requests and reports on the economy, and instead a way to rally support, or show unification, or to bring the nation together uh, and show leadership. Sort of a way to, to make yourself more popular. Uh, typically for your next election cycle. This really changed with uh, Woodrow Wilson in 1913 when when he had his address to the people. It, things changed from there, and it became more of a publicity stunt than a report ever since that point. This isn't new. This has been going on for about a century. Responses to the address by the opposing party, uh, they're now more common when the State of the Union originated, these responses didn't happen. Even when uh, the State of the Union became more public in 1913 with Woodrow Wilson, you really didn't have responses. Only within the last few decades did we really get opposing parties bringing in the responses, and, and the Democrats had Stacey Abrams, uh, the former Georgia uh, State General Assembly uh, minority leader, doing the opposing response to President Trump's State of the Union uh, immediately after on February 5th. We'll, we'll be getting on that too. But first, let, let's talk about the key takeaways from the State of the Union address, because this is where uh, a lot of our focus is. What did he talk about? What was the main message from the president? Because there's been a lot of opposition, clearly. If you've been reading uh, any of the news articles or, or hearing reports from the Democrats, Things are getting heated. We keep hearing that the nation is more divided than ever. So what, what did the president have to say 
of how we are going to unify the country. Uh, he stated that we must work together to help Americans. He also uh, implored the message that wars, partisanship, and investigations will only hinder progress in America. Uh, supposedly a little nod to the, the Mueller investigation. And if any of you had seen the, the picture of Nancy Pelosi doing her um, almost a seal clap where, where she's seemingly smirking and mocking uh, the president with her clap in that line, there's been memes about it. Uh, it's a reference to that line, uh, supposedly that the, the investigation will continue as planned, as one would assume. Uh, one of the most uh, appreciated parts of President Trump's speech was when he talked about job, job growth in the United States, citing increases in jobs for minorities, uh, people with disabilities, and for women specifically citing uh, women in Congress, the sheer number uh, of women that had just gotten elected, to which there was thunderous applause, uh, cheering, uh, standing up and clapping, uh, even from the Democratic side. In fact, it was a direct reference to them. Uh, this is actually one of the most entertaining parts of the speech. They All the, the, the women stood up. Nancy Pelosi stood up. They're all thunderously applauding chanting USA, and then Trump looks at them and he says, no, you weren't supposed to do that. Yeah, it, it was a funny moment. And it, it was nice, actually, to see everyone standing together and being uh, united under something. It was a nice change of pace. One uh, clip in particular that I thoroughly enjoyed, just because there, there was an expert cameraman like whoever, whoever did this deserves some kind of Oscar. Just for the perfect timing on the shot, uh, I, I'm going to play a clip, my, my favorite clip uh, from the State of the Union address. And uh, I, I wish you could see it. I, I recommend you go back and you see the Bernie Sanders uh, reaction. But I, I'm going to play the clip, and... And it's, it's just wonderful. This is when uh, Trump is talking about socialism in the United States. So I'm going to play this clip for you. Here in the United States, we are alarmed by the new calls to adopt socialism in our country. America was founded on liberty and independence and not government coercion domination and control. We are born free and we will stay free. So everyone's applauding, everyone's clapping, and there, there's a cut and a zoom in on Bernie Sanders frowning and, and, and stroking his chin. Just expert uh, camera work by, by whoever was was uh, was uh, was on the stage that day. Just just brilliant camera work. I I love that moment. Uh, just for the sheer irony, whoever was working that day, and truly deserves an Oscar. Beyond socialism, uh, the president reiterated his stance on ending illegal immigration, uh, citing drug trafficking and sex smuggling across the border as problems that he 
said a border wall, or a barrier, as he put it in this speech, would help to stop. He also announced that on February 27th and 28th, he would be having a meeting with Kim Jong-un in Vietnam to discuss relations between the countries. So more information to come on that meeting. Now, there, there were some parts of this speech that, of course, you would not expect the Democrats uh, to be fully behind. They've been very against Trump's plan for uh, increased border security, particularly uh, the wall. They said they've been for some instances of border security, but they think the wall is too far and or too expensive. You would expect uh, the idea of increased jobs for everyone to be a unifying force between the parties. However, the response by Stacey Abrams has shown that they find quite a bit to be desired. Now, Stacey Abrams, she lost uh, Brian Kemp in the Georgia governor election, and her and her team have claimed that Brian Kemp had rigged the voting, uh, rigged the rules, rigged the polls, and had turned people away uh, to rig the election due to his uh, position as secretary at the time. Now, no one has uh, fully confirmed nor denied any, any truth to these allegations, but they are allegations. And she sticks on this note, in her response, uh, talking about voter suppression, uh, saying that it's harder for people to register and stay in the rolls, to moving to polling paces, places and rejecting lawful ballots. Uh, she says she acknowledges the 2018 election uh, in Georgia, but she cannot accept efforts to undermine her right to vote and talks about how she's starting a nonpartisan organization uh, advocating for voting rights. Uh, so she's she's still sticking with, with with this notion that there was voter suppression in Georgia, and there may have been intentional or not. It is certainly an issue that that should be looked into because votes should be counted as long as they they are legal votes by by citizens. Even so, it, it's no. There's very little disagreement that there was a lot of um, th there was a lot of room for improvement. You can put it lightly with uh, the election in Georgia. Uh, there there were purges uh, from voter rolls, um, and that that was said to remove dead people uh, from the records. Uh, there were fifty three thousand voter registrations put on hold, uh, and a few days before election day. Uh, the current governor, Kemp, accused Democrats uh, of attempting to hack the, the state's voter registration system. There were long voting lines, technical errors, all throughout the voting day, uh, and counting got pushed far into the night. So overall, it was entirely a mess, R regardless of whether there was meddling or not. The, the system seems to be a bit broken. And they need to clean up their process. There, there's no reason there should be that much sludge in the system. 
but back to Stacey Abrams, her speech. She, she begins by, by talking about her experiences in her life, uh, the, the work that her, her parents had to go to, to support her as a, as a child, extra hours, uh, saying that the shutdown was a stunt by the president, uh, talking about gun control and uh, wages and how they need to be increased for workers support for unions. Um, uh, she puts a line saying that bipartisanship is important, followed by a line saying that uh, the current administration is trying to cage children and tear families apart. So I'm, I'm a bit skeptical of whether or not we're actually going to have bipartisanship. We will see. Stay optimistic. Uh talking about how the Republicans' uh, attorney generals have been trying to dismantle uh, Obamacare, which is true. Uh, going on about climate change, free and fair elections, as I said before. Um, LGBTQ communities. And ending by saying she's very disappointed in the president's approach to our problems, followed by, I still don't want him to fail. So... It's it's not exactly um, an optimistic speech. It's it's a very critical of the president. Uh, I I am still skeptical of whether or not we're going to see bipartisanship, especially with, with the fact that it looks like we might have another shutdown coming up extremely soon. If we can't get some sort of agreement on the budget, um, I mean, who who's going to cave first? On, on what sort of concessions are going to be given for the wall. Uh, are the Republicans going to cave, and are we not going to get the full wall that, that Trump has been claiming for? Or are the, the Democrats going to cave? It's not entirely clear. It seems like the Democrats were able to hold out longer in this first round and able to at least uh, push back and get funding for federal workers for another few weeks before we, we have a, another debacle. So it's not clear. Um, it's entirely possible that wages could get blocked again, which would be extremely detrimental to workers. It's ideal for the image of, of both parties if this issue gets resolved as soon as possible. So the real question is, who has more to lose? And perhaps that's the sitting president. It seems like a lot of uh, responsibility is being put on his shoulders as the, the leader of the free country to, yeah, as he said in the speech, to, to unify things. So I guess we'll see in the coming weeks if we can come to a bipartisan resolution as to the budget and as to border security. Now, that, I believe, summarizes the, the State of the Union and the response to it. But... One thing I, I picked up on while watching this the first time, uh, many of the women on the Democratic side, nearly all of them, I believe, were wearing white. They were, they were dressed in white, and this was a reference to uh, uh, the suffragette movement uh, from, from America several decades ago. As women were, were fighting for the right to vote, and thank God they got it. 
Many uh, of these women wearing white, however, were wearing pins that said, yes, ERA. Now, ERA stands for the Equal Rights Amendment. Now, I, I didn't recognize this at first. Uh, this was before I was born. But the Equal Rights Amendment, this was introduced to Congress in 1921. This was a century ago. This is an old, old attempt at getting an amendment passed. I, I was surprised that this has actually been making its rounds for so long. And here's the text of the amendment that that's trying to get passed still. Section 1. Equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any state on account of sex. Section 2. The Congress shall have the power to enforce, by appropriate legislation, the provisions of this article. Section 3. This amendment shall take effect two years after the date of ratification. So pretty, pretty standard uh, for the second and third sections. Uh, Congress has the power to enforce this amendment, and Section 3... Uh, you, you get some leeway, so things don't change immediately. You have some time to adapt to the bill. So section one is by far the most important one. That's the that's the meat. Equality of rights under the law shall not be denied or abridged by the United States or by any account of sex. Uh, it, it sort of sounds like the uh, the equal protections clause uh, in section one of the Fourteenth Amendment. I'll read that off for you. All persons born or naturalized in the United States and subject to the jurisdiction thereof are citizens of the United States and of the state wherein they reside. No state shall make or enforce any law which shall abridge the privileges or immunities of citizens of the United States, nor shall any state deprive any person of life, liberty, or property without due process of law. And here's the important part nor deny any person within its jurisdiction the equal protection of the laws. Now that part. Nor deny any person the equal protection of the laws. This includes anybody. No person within your jurisdiction can be denied the equal uh, protection of the laws. Now, it's widely interpreted that the original reason for this clause was to solidify the constitutionality of the 1866 Civil Rights Act. But since that, uh, that original writing and ratification, uh, it, is, it has been interpreted as more of a social rights protection. Uh, this 14th Amendment and the Equal Protections Clause, th there's still been some debate over exactly what is the extent of the protections. Does it actually include equal rights? Or is this just certain protections? This new amendment, the Equal Rights Amendment, seems to want to adjust for that. However, it was uh, proposed several decades before the Equal Rights Amendment and several of, of the movements since then that have given women more rights and more equality and defended against discrimination. 
So there, there is sort of a question of how effective would this amendment be? Would it change that much? Or is it more symbolic? Is it a sign of solidarity that the U.S. will not stand for discrimination? Uh, that, that seems to be what the proponents currently are standing for, that this is, a, this is sort of the U.S. taking the stand for women's rights. What, what struck me is that it has taken this amendment so long, like I said, a century, before we are back at the point of, of trying to ratify it. So I did some digging as to why it was not ratified yet. And it's an interesting story. This amendment originally had a ratification deadline of March 22nd, 1979. Now, ratification deadline, uh, th think of it as sort of the, the final date that you have to turn in your test. You can't turn in your, your, your homework or, or your work past that deadline. It has to be in by this point. And by, by 1977, uh, this ratification procedure, it had 35 out of the 38 states that, that ratified it. So they only needed three more. And there was bipartisan support at this time. Both parties, Democrats and Republicans, were widely for this amendment. And there were, there were two more years to go. And at the time, it seemed quite likely that this was going to pass by, by 1979. However, one woman... Phyllis uh, Schlafly, she did an enormous nationwide movement that, that pushed conservative women and some feminists at the time in opposition of the amendment, actually making Idaho, uh, Kentucky, Nebraska, Tennessee, and South Dakota uh, rescind the ratification. Now, whether or not you can actually pull back your ratification is still legally up to debate because that doesn't really happen that often. It's, it's sort of a rarity in politics. When you ratify an amendment, your, your state is usually very for it. And amendments are a big deal. You're adding text to our constitution. You are voting to change the law for the nation. So you typically find this to be something that your people widely agree on. But this goes to show how, how convincing and how much uh, influence Phyllis uh, Schlafly really had at this time. Now, her, her argument was that the Equal Rights Amendment would not help women. It would actually remove some of the, the privileges that women had at the time that equal footing would actually harm women. And she stated that this would disadvantage housewives, that it would make women eligible for the draft, that they would lose advantages that they would have in alimony payments, custody of children, uh, and, and protections uh, and privileges in labor law. And we'll, we'll get more into the specifics of that soon. 
But th- these arguments were were convincing enough at the time to convince many women who were earlier in support of the amendment to switch and, and divided the country over this issue and got the five states that I mentioned uh, to re- rescind the ratification. Now, uh, under President Carter in 1978, uh, the deadline was pushed back from 1979 to 1982, June 30th. So this was giving a little more leeway because it seemed like what was a guarantee was not going to happen by the deadline. It, it didn't happen. So we got pushed back three more years. And since this point, not enough states have ratified it. But uh, that, that final deadline, 1982, that we just mentioned, June 30th, 1982, um, clearly we're a little bit past that point. Not enough states have ratified the amendment. We are past the deadline, and no one has pushed the deadline back since that point. So, in effect, it's expired. Even so, given that the deadline has expired, two more states, Nevada and Illinois, have both ratified the amendment since the passing of this deadline. So, their, their states have said, essentially, if this ever comes back into question, if this ever gets uh, reopened, we are in support. If you include those two states, and if you ignore the five states that have rescinded the ratification, technically, you would only need one more state. It's not entirely clear whether or not, like I said, you can rescind your ratification, whether you can just hit the undo button. Because there's not really a process for it. And that's what uh, proponents of the ERA are really saying right now. Oh, we only need one more state. And that could be true. It it would really potentially end up going to Congress, as we'll talk about soon. The the, the legality of this whole process is unique. This might be the strangest uh, way that an amendment gets passed. Because there was so so much controversy surrounding it in the late uh, 70s. They got to push back. Feminist groups, they were divided, especially after uh, Phyllis got involved, over whether or not this would help women. The National Women's Party, and this was a party that was for the amendment, said that equal pay would trump some of those, those benefits, those work benefits and labor law that that women were getting. That we want equal pay. Now, remember, equal pay uh, since then, uh, the Equal Pay Act, actually, in 1963, under Kennedy, that was passed that made equal pay uh, for men and women. It didn't cover all occupations at the time, but since then it's been changed, and it, it covers... Everything. It is illegal to pay uh, men and women 
different wages for the same work. It is against the law now. But uh, at the time that this was being debated, uh, it was not the case. But the National Women's Party, they were for this amendment because of the equal pay. Uh, the Women's Joint Congressional Committee at the time were against the amendment uh, because they argued that heavy lifting jobs uh, and shorter hours were preferred and they might actually lose some of the, some of the benefits that they wouldn't have to do some of these heavy lifting jobs, that those were better suited to men, and that they, they had some leeway that they were able to work less hours. Now, you as a listener, you can make up your own mind. Um, but th this was the debate at the time. And it seems like, like some of those arguments have changed. It seems like many of the women have gone back to what the National Women's Party had originally argued for, or at least uh, the Democratic women in Congress who had the yes ERA pins, they are certainly on the side of the, the National Women's Party of early America. Now, the Equal Rights Act, uh, 1964, uh, banned discrimination on race, sex, religion, and national origin. The reason I bring this up because it is particularly relevant in the case of this amendment. And as I said early on when I started discussing this, I, I found it um, interesting that this was still uh, trying to get passed because I wasn't exactly certain of what would change. It, it doesn't seem that there's much legal discrimination. Now, you can argue for uh, discrimination person on person or outside of legal jurisdiction or the workplace. But this amendment wouldn't change that either. If someone makes a rude comment to you based on your sex, well, that's certainly not okay, but this amendment would not change the legality of that action. Workplace discrimination and equal pay, pay have already been taken care of. I, I've been pondering this issue for a while now, ever, ever since watching the State of the Union and trying to think of what it would change, of what, what benefit this amendment would bring to women. And perhaps it is more symbolic in the eyes of the people who are purporting it. Perhaps that this is really solidifying that, that men and women are equal in the eyes of the federal government. Or maybe it's trying to cover any legal loopholes that the Equal Protections Clause uh, of the 14th Amendment to, to protect against any interpretations of the Equal Protections Clause that didn't protect women, to finally solidify it, no more questions, it's certain, it's in writing. I think that's the strongest case you can have for it that it is solidifying that in the Constitution, uh, regardless of your interpretation of what equal protections mean. However, it does seem to be the case that, that Phyllis uh, Schlafly might have a point. That there's certainly a reason she convinced so many women and got f uh, five states to rescind their ratification. There, there might be a change in the way that 
divorce proceedings, custody uh, battles, uh, work protections. The, the way that those are handled. It's not entirely certain. We would have to wait to see uh, after, if and when this does get ratified completely by 38 states, how the courts would interpret this. But it, it might end up being detrimental for women. But perhaps that's the price of quality. Perhaps... Perhaps things will change for the better overall. I, I recommend that you viewers look into this amendment. Look into Phyllis's arguments. Look into the arguments of the National Women's Party. And come to your own conclusions. Personally, me, I, I, I've been thinking about this one. And while I don't think in terms of uh, protections, it would change much in how we live our daily lives. I, I'm not opposed to this amendment. I, 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 I think, I, I think it, it, it might do better for the nation. Maybe just to have it in writing to solidify what might be misinterpreted by certain readings into the Equal Protections Clause of the 14th Amendment. And if, if this is where we're going in pure equality in men and women, I, I'm all for it. Why not? So we, we will see if this gets passed. I, I, I'm certainly excited. I, when I was a kid, I, I, I was reading all the amendments, um, late middle school, early high school, and I sort of saw it as, as almost like the Ten Commandments, that it was written in stone, that there wouldn't be any more. Uh, and, and learning about the, this whole process, it sort of came as a shock to me to think that we might have a new amendment. Now, whether or not this actually happens, like I said, is still up for debate. The question of whether or not it's even legal to count the states that rescinded their votes or states that made the ratifications after a deadline, we have no clue. But there's three important court cases which could clarify the issue. And I'm going to take a look at that now with you. In 1981, a federal court, the case of uh, Idaho v. Freeman, uh, declared the original exp uh, expiration date, the one of 1979, to be final, saying that you, you cannot update the expiration date this is it, meaning that, that President Carter's uh, pushback to 1982 was void, that the amendment's done. You, you would essentially have to start a new amendment and try to get the ratifications all over again. A year later, 1982, an unrelated case with the Supreme Court, NOW uh, v. Idaho, they, they also declared the, the 1979 date to be final but also uh, declared the case and the point to be moot due to the fact that there weren't even enough states, even if you include all the possibility, all those options, states after the deadline, states that rescinded, even if you counted those, there weren't 38. 
said, regardless of our decision, you, you don't have the states, you don't have the votes, you don't have the ratifications. This is sort of pointless. So, so not really uh, an exciting change on that case. But there is one, now this one's a throwback, from 1939. Now this case, this is the one, this is sort of the, the golden dream. This is the, the, the last cruise ship, or the, the last uh, raft that you'd have to climb on board to, to sail to victory if you wanted to get this pass. This is the one you'd have to use. 1939, Supreme Court, Conan v. Miller, ruled that Congress could decide whether or not the deadlines matter for these ratifications. That Congress has uh, the end-all, be-all with these things. So if one more state ratifies this thing, to some legal scholars, Congress could vote to see if uh, they'd want to update the deadlines or and or count the states that rescinded their votes and or count the states that ratified after the deadline expired. So that would be, it seems to be, the only path that this could get passed. One more state ratifies, and then Congress decides whether or not they want to make this whole thing legal. And if they do do that, then you would have the newest amendment to the United States Constitution. Now, I, I can't say whether or not that would happen, or when in the timeline of the, the next few years this could happen. But if the, the pins of the State of the Union are any indicator, th this issue is having a revival. And I, I can say for myself, it, it was certainly interesting digging into the history of this issue. I, I had not heard of the Equal Rights Amendment until I, I learned about it, actually, from those pins in the State of the Union address. So it, it's going to be very curious to, to watch this unfold if there is a revived movement for the ERA over these next few years. And who knows? Maybe we'll have a new amendment. I recommend you, you talk uh, to the people you know about this, learn about the issues, do some research, stay vigilant. This is Alex from Looking In, signing off.